Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss concierge medicine, also termed direct pay primary care. With me to discuss the topic is the Medicare Rights Center's Casey Schwartz. Welcome, Casey. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. As always, let me begin with uh, some background. Uh, I have a relative, uh, a female, age 83. She's a retired public health and emergency department nurse and is in good health. She has no major or chronic illnesses, has no activities of daily living limitations. She lives independently as a sound diet and frequents her gym regularly. She has seen her primary care physician for well over 10 years. Last year, she was told she could continue to see her primary care physician only if she paid an annual $1,750 fee. Her physician had joined MDVIP, a Florida-based concierge medicine business, and was reducing his roster from over 3,000 patients to 600. His concierge fee alone, uh, if you do the math, exceeds $1 million annually. If my relative did not pay the fee, her physician's office informed her they would provide her a list of physicians that accept new Medicare patients. My relative is paying the fee. So with that as background, again, with me to discuss the topic is uh, Casey Schwartz. Her bio, as always, is posted on the podcast website. So with that as uh, background introduction, Casey, let me begin by asking you, while we could discuss the arguments for or against concierge medicine, uh, let's limit our conversation or discussion here to your relevant Medicare expertise. So in that context, where, if at all, does Medicare and concierge medicine uh, intersect? So um, as a little bit of background, which I'm sure your listeners are, are already familiar with, Medicare is health insurance provided through the federal government for people who are over the age of 65 or who um, have been receiving Social Security disability for 24 months. Um, Medicare has certain rules for uh, physicians who would like to receive payments from the program. My conversation today is going to be limited to original Medicare or fee-for-service Medicare uh, as people who receive their Medicare through a private company like a uh, Medicare Advantage organization have networks within which they have to see physicians and um, other rules apply that have to do with the physician's participation in that particular network. They can add a whole nother layer onto this uh, discussion. But I think if you focus on the fee-for-service side of things, Medicare uh, does not permit physicians to bill beneficiaries, people with Medicare, for any services that are paid for by Medicare. Um, this impacts concierge medicine, as you've described it, um, because the question arises as to whether the access fee or whatever you want to call it, the, the annual or monthly amount that um, beneficiaries are asked to pay to keep their providers, whether that is in service of some additional um, benefits and access or other services that are not paid for by Medicare, or whether those duplicate the payments that Medicare makes for services that providers have to provide to people who they see with Medicare. Um, and that's really where Medicare and concierge medicine interact is 
whether physicians are inappropriately double billing for services or appropriately billing for services that are in addition to those services that Medicare pays for. Great. That's helpful. So just on point, fee-for-service Medicare that you note, that's about 70% of uh, Medicare beneficiaries. And per your latter point, moreover, it is the case that the concierge medicine practice will say that the fee is for beyond improved access and longer appointment times. It is for paying for services that Medicare, they would argue, for which Medicare does not normally uh, then reimburse. And that is their explanation relative to um, uh, not double billing. Correct. Okay, great. So let me ask a a follow-up question. To what extent has CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and or the Department of Health and Human Services, Office of Inspector General, investigated and or addressed the practice of concierge medicine? So there have been a couple of cases um, where a particular practice has been investigated by OIG uh, with regard to their um, their particular fee and whether it relates to actual enhanced services or whether those services are encompassed in the Medicare reimbursement rate. And I think that we'll continue to see sort of uh, investigation into this as a very uh, fact-based analysis. And I think that as Medicare develops payment structures that are designed to reimburse for additional care coordination and other services, it will be uh, increasingly interesting to see how the services that a concierge practice provides in addition to those that are provided um, under the regular fee-for-service benefit structure are differentiated. Right, are different and apart from what Medicare already pays for, correct? Exactly. Let me ask you, since I did mention MDVIP, if you go to their website, one point that they make, interesting they don't note their fees on their website, but that aside, they do note predominantly that the annual fee is for, and I'm reading from their website, a wellness program that is generally not covered by insurance, and that they make emphasis also to of an annual wellness visit. So let me ask specifically, does Medicare pay for uh, an annual wellness or preventative visit? Medicare does pay for an annual wellness visit. It is a it's a pretty narrow set of services that are encompassed in the Medicare annual wellness visit. It's not it's this is something that we try and and help educate people about. It's not a comprehensive physical. So sometimes people can be surprised by some billing related to a physical when they thought they were getting the free annual wellness visit. Um, so it, it is true that Medicare covers an annual wellness visit. It's really a, a time for people to sit down and discuss preventative services that they may want to schedule in the next year with their physician. Um, what, you know, whether any particular wellness program fits into that or not is beyond what I can uh, assess. Okay. Okay. Let me ask you the, on a more on point still. Uh, yeah. Are you aware uh, of any data on quality of care provided by concierge physicians or, or to the extent that they actually reduce Medicare or other payers' costs from, for example, avoided emergency department visits or hospital admis- admissions? I ask because I looked and I, I can't seem to find any uh, quality. I'm not aware of any. No, I'm not aware of any uh, of any studies by Medicare or any third parties that, that look at 
the benefits provided specifically by concierge physicians. I do know that there is some research that supports that increased care coordination, communication between physicians, um, primary care physicians and specialists and this sort of thing uh, does improve patient outcomes, but um, that's not limited to or specific to these concierge practices. Right. And and again, generally, of course, uh, better access improves care and uh, certainly longer appointment times provide enhanced or improved patient satisfaction as well as physician satisfaction. Let me ask then about this issue of, through this practice, reduced patient rosters or panels. So assuming the model, as I noted in the intro, continues to expand, that is, uh, primary care physicians continue to drop thousands of patients from their practices, what happens to these patients? Or more specifically, to what extent does this constitute patient abandonment? And I will note that just generally, uh, for those unfamiliar, patient abandonment is generally defined as termination of a relationship brought about by the unilateral act of the physician. So uh, to what extent is this a concern of Medicare's or to what extent does Medicare address this? So uh, as a general matter, patient abandonment rules um, arise out of state law okay. and state uh, consumer protections as well as the way that states oversee and license physicians mm-hmm. and doesn't Medicare isn't really the source for those rules. Okay. Um, I know that different states have different levels of expectation for physicians who are transitioning their practice in terms of uh, providing alternatives ref- and referrals when changes like this are made. Um, I think it's important to note that as a payer, as an insurer, Medicare is not um, in control of the way that physicians manage their practices. And physicians can choose to see or not see patients for any number of reasons. In addition to the concerns related to dropping patients, uh, physicians can certainly choose not to take on new patients for any number of reasons, mm-hmm. um, so long as they're not obviously in violation of other federal discrimination laws. Okay, okay. So let, let me ask you sort of the, the, the example question. So your uh, center, the Medicare Rights Center, fields thousands of calls uh, every year. And in fact, uh, I think it was January, you came out with your annual report summarizing all the calls the center received, by what subjects, et cetera. So in this instance, um, say you're staffing the phone and um, you receive a call from a Medicare beneficiary uh, and they tell you, uh, per my intro, that they've been asked to begin paying or not asked, required to begin paying this $1,750 annual fee if they wish to continue to receive care from their physician. And I did note also, too, the annual incomes in the uh, website intro to this podcast, the annual incomes, average mean incomes of Medicare beneficiaries, which are obviously not that uh, high, but in that context as well, what would you or how would you advise uh, the caller? So part of what we try and do on our helpline, um, we have information that we think can help people make decisions, but we're not in the position to be making those decisions for anyone, Um, is, is to let the person know that um, this fee uh, may be allowable under Medicare rules, and it may not be, depending on the extent to which 
there are additional services being provided for the fee. Um, for example, some practices say that you will have 24-7 access to your physician. You'll get their personal cell phone number as part of this, you know, this additional fee. That's obviously not something that's required. Um, that is not something that is paid for by the broad Medicare program. If, if that is something that is worth it to that person to obtain, then, you know, we can let them know that they, they are not going to be in any trouble from Medicare for participating in this sort of program. Medicare may investigate at some point whether or not the physician meets the requirements for having enough of a difference between the Medicare reimbursal rate and, you know, the services that are provided under Medicare and the services that they are charging additional fees for. But there's no problem from the beneficiary perspective. Um, this isn't something that they will, will and, and that's often people's concern. If, if this isn't allowed and I participate in it, will that be a problem for me and my Medicare going forward? And mm -hmm. we can assure them that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. We can also let them know that there are services available through 1-800-MEDICARE and the Medicare website to find other physicians who accept Medicare in their area. They can also as you mentioned in your story, that there are sometimes when providers do this, they do provide referrals, uh, information about other providers who are who are available to take additional Medicare beneficiaries if they're not in, interested in participating in this. And if they feel that this is something that they want to report to Medicare, uh, if they feel that this is an inappropriate concierge fee, then we can give them uh, references to the fraud and abuse hotline from HHS. We can't make a determination as to whether it's an appropriate concierge fee or not, but um, it's certainly something that if people feel that the concierge fee is not appropriate, it's being charged for access to the same services that are being paid for by Medicare, then they can report that to the fraud and abuse hotline. So to the extent that it's in the eyes of the beholder here, the Medicare, in this case, the Medicare beneficiary, it's their call whether the fee is appropriate, and, and let's just say whether to call that appropriateness, whether that's excessive or not, it's their decision. Absolutely. It, it's not just whether it's appropriate, but whether it's something that they're interested in pursuing. Right. It's their call whether the value added is, is there. Exactly. So let, me, let me, on that note, let me ask you, if, if a caller was to call their right center, and they said, well, um, would you opine on relative to a wellness, annual wellness, uh, for example, back to MDVIP, they will say that your wellness, annual wellness visit will include, and they bullet several uh, areas, heart health, diabetes, respiratory health, sleep, hearing, and vision, sexual health, weight management, emotional well-being. Would the right center opine again on whether these are substantially value-added? Well, we can certainly provide information about what is included in the Medicare-covered annual wellness visit. And they, they can um, compare and contrast. Exactly. Okay. So that's exactly. the... And it, and it may be something that a person would want to take to the provider and and explicitly ask, what do you consider are the services that you provide that are above and beyond what Medicare is paying for? Because I think even within the subject matter, you know, it, it may be that while Medicare would pay for, and I'm pulling this off the top of my head, so um, I'm not, <laughs> would pay for uh, a cardiovascular stress test once every 
certain number of years mm-hmm. that they will do it, you know, more frequently than that, or that um, Medicare would pay for a certain level of screening, but they will do, you know, higher level scans or, or whatever. Um, so I think that without knowing precisely what the services are, it's hard to say whether that is in addition to what Medicare would cover, um, even given the subject areas, even though the subject areas might overlap. I do think that often what these, uh, the additional benefits that these types of providers are or are focused on offering are the access types of services, the speed of response, the length of the office visit, some of those sort of more intangibles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether that is worth it for any individual is going to be really a, a personal decision. Right. So, again, they're paying more, as you suggest, for immediacy. And sound advice relative to the provider should make clear what services uh, they would provide per the fee as opposed to what services Medicare provides and, 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 and what's the, where's the gap or where's the difference between uh, the list. Yeah, and and I think that there are two, really two um, two ways of looking at two ways that you should look at this. One is from the beneficiary perspective: is this worth it for an individual? And then the other is from the provider perspective: is this consistent with your agreement with Medicare? And I think that there's probably more caution. I would urge, you know, given Medicare's publications and the way that they look at these things. Um, and have looked at them. If you look at some of the uh, decisions on individual cases that are published on the CMS website, whether it's really enough of a difference to to come clean away from the the Medicare rules about double billing, mm-hmm. um, I think requires a a more critical eye right. than whether an individual is willing to bear these costs in order to obtain the things that they think are worthwhile. Well, the, I think those are two really, they're different analyses. Right. Well, the point well taken that the provider will examine whether or not they're providing substantial value added, I guess, maybe one way to phrase it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, with that, Casey, sorry, we're already, believe it or not, at our time boundary. So uh, thank you for this discussion on this issue, certainly an increasing practice amongst more of our, again, primary care physicians, particularly Uh, for the Medicare population. So thank you again for your time. Thank you very much for having me.